This is Metal Recall, episode six. My name is Niall Hope, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Cascala. How's it going, bud? It's going good. Good stuff. So today's a very special occasion. We have our first guest on the show. Fine. I'd like to first. First guest. Honoured. Honoured indeed. It's my uh, great privilege to introduce the Birdman, Christian Bird. <laughs> Welcome to the show, dude. How's it going? Very good. I feel like I should squawk or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Christian. Hi. What got you into the devil's music in the first place? <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, some of my friends from school had older older brothers, and they were they were some of my first group of friends to get proper jobs and uh, go out and buy albums. So we'd go up to the nearest city. I remember watching them going into Virgin uh, Virgin Records and old school Andy's Records and R Price and going through the the, the discount bins, and they'd pull out all these. Um, rock and metal and punk albums and we'd listen to them in their car on the way back and so I was exposed to a lot of like cool music that way. What were some of the first bands that you remember getting into? There was a lot of Nirvana, a lot of punk, um, a lot of Metallica, um, some some of the guys like some of the more like classic stuff, Def Leppard and and things Um, and then one guy, I can't remember his name, uh, he was really into a lot of the stoner stuff and some of the I don't know how you what you call it, but like a really operatic metal, like um, okay. Dimmer Borgia. I don't know if I'm saying Whoa. that right. And now I'm getting into black metal. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, but um, I, I didn't. I didn't really know all the genres and things like that. So sure, I listened, sure. We listened to that and, and um, the more cheesy stuff like Cradle of Filth and uh, <laughs> and then um, I remember he played Monster Magnet. I really liked that. And then through them, started looking into Caius, Queens of the Stone Age. Nice. Um, Acid, King, I think that's their name, Electric Wizard. And then I think through that came across Stoner Witch. And I think it's probably because it's just the name Stoner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, edgy, edgy. yeah. We, there was a really good record shop in a town called Norwich in, um, in England uh, called Beatniks. And they get all the imports. Because if you go into the, into the high street shops, you wouldn't, you'd only see like the things that are in the charts or the more popular stuff, like the MTV <laughs> kind of things. But they'd always have the the imported vinyl and um, coloured discs and um, nice. yeah, yeah. EPs. And then there was this, I think there was a local DJ in Norwich who'd get all the, the, the white label stuff and then sell them on. So I used to get demos as well that way and just started collecting all these like more cheaper albums because they were really expensive yeah. actually. I think they were like 20 quid to get these American CDs. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, and so I think I was buying like Melvin's and... Uh, uh, Green River and Mud Honey and and I didn't really know where any of these bands were from. I just they were just like garage band, like a bit more punk aesthetic. Yeah. So I was buying Discord, Fugazi. Um, I didn't know geography of America, whether it was west, east. I just grouped it into all of this like more make it yourself DIY kind of stuff, and um, that's one of the reasons for like the the Melvins and that kind of scene. Yeah, that's cool. Covered, I mean, covered quite a range there of, 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 of genres as well. Yeah, I, mean, metal. I think um, similar to you, I, I come from a small, small city mm. in the northeast of England where you had your mainstream. I remember the Andes Records and yeah. then the uh, Our Price and Virgin Records eventually, but we had a small record shop in Durham called Concepts. And that was where me and my brother, we would go and we'd get like all the metal releases that you could find there. Because like you said, when you go to a, a Virgin Records or a Andy's Records at the time, you're only going to get the, the Metallicas. And yeah. I was obviously into that, but it was hard to sort of get your hands on on more niche stuff. So that's why we had, you know, we had the concepts and it was like, um, yeah, you just get all that, that uh, less mainstream stuff, which is really cool. I remember agonising over what I'd spend my money on because I didn't have much. So I'd have like a wad, like t- 10, 20 CDs in my hand and I'd have to get to the cashier and decide which five I was going to buy. Yeah, and then yeah. that would get me through the month. Yeah. And then I'd do the same thing the next <laughs> month. <laughs> it was um, in, in Norwich, oh, oh, where, whereabouts you're from, yeah. was there a like a local... 
night that you could go to. Yeah, there was. Yeah, it was and called. And listen to the music. It was called Planet Beat, and it was in this town called Bury St Edmunds, and it was called Planet Beat because the local industry was sugar beet, <laughs> and wow. it was where all the local bands were playing. And there were some really, really good local bands, and um, um, I think one of them was this this machine who like we all adored. They're all like older and played really heavy stuff and they had really nice guitars and drums and the rest of us would just just have crap really and um, they look so professional and they get up there with all their all their mics and fog machines and lasers oh, and all of that nice. stuff Next level. that was like yeah amazing <laughs> we had um, we had in Durham there was uh, on the the banks of the river there was a couple of clubs like um, the rowing club um, would put on this what they yeah. called the rock disco on a Friday night. So when you're like fourteen, getting into getting into a, a music that's not exactly mainstream, and especially in a in a city like Durham, and also you kind of um, exploring drinking for for the first yeah. time. This was a place that would was just drinking and metal hand in hand. Yeah, at fourteen <laughs> as well. <laughs> and they just wouldn't they would serve absolutely everyone so we'd go there on a Friday night it would be the only place where you could listen to Pantera Metallica I was going to say you said it was like a listening like a, a, a listening party so you were you got live music but you were exposed to bands that you couldn't necessarily purchase is what you're saying yeah I am um, I mean you, you'd hear so much stuff yeah. um, there that you hadn't heard before got it yeah and they also did live gigs I, 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 I was in bands at the time so I played mm. there as well but essentially it was just like a dance floor right <laughs> with the lights off playing playing metal music and yeah. just kids 14 to what 18 yeah getting wasted throwing up outside moshing around just good shit mm. yeah it's amazing how uh, I mean showing my age here just times has changed you know like you basically had to really invest time and be dedicated to the genre to, to, to even get the exposure and experience any of that now it's just a free-for-all but yeah you, you had to you had to watch your budget on what you could purchase and you had to make those tough decisions you had to go to places and seek it out so i don't know it's just yeah interesting. these days it's spotify discover weekly yeah when yeah. you get your new bands it's brought to you uh anytime you want it mm. <laughs> i hear so much new stuff just going to these gig venues because there'd only be maybe three or four pubs locally that would play the music yeah so that it'd be whoever's whoever's driving you whatever they're into that's what would i'd sort of get exposed to each time yeah, yeah. So it'd change depending on which car you're in <laughs> and, <laughs> nice and christian you you play bass as well you've been in bands before did yeah. um were you influenced to to pick up the bass after listening to all this music is that kind of what got you into it actually my dad had a, an, an electric bass guitar um from when he was in a band so there was always guitars growing up in the house. You had this short-scale Vox, like um, I think Paul McCartney's, not the, the same, um, the same brand, right? But not the same guitar. It's super thin. It was like a quarter of an inch wood <laughs> with these Whoa. little pickups and a guitar neck on it. And I just make make noise through it. But it had um, these coated strings on it, so it was like a dub reggae setup. I used to play on that, and then I remember buying a book and learning some scales and. Um, it was mostly just from seeing what bands were around that I could join, and they were all punk bands, and so therefore I just became like a punk bassist. Nice. It's very simple, yeah. Very cool. Before we go any further, Aaron, let's do some housekeeping. Why don't you tell people where they can find us? Yeah, obviously the um, <clears throat> the podcast is, is alive and, and well on Spotify, but you can also email us with any um, questions, concerns, feedback, or random nonsense. Metal Recall Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, reach out if you want to. Yep, and you'll find us on Instagram as well. That's just at Metal Recall. So that brings us to today. Christian, obviously this is your first time on the pod yeah. and we've given you the honour of bringing the, the album to the table. So what we listen to and why? We are listening to Melvin's Stoner Witch. I think I've already uh, let the cat out of the bag on that. Um, you did, but it's fine. Yeah, um, amazing album and... Um, I say an album because I think it's something you need to listen through. It's not something you maybe pick up individual songs off of. Mm -hmm. And that's generally how I listen to music is the full album. I don't really listen to playlists and things like that. And um, 
I, th I don't remember hearing any songs off it before I bought it. I just remember maybe flicking through some of the bins, seeing the name, liking the album artwork. And I know you want to talk about that as well because it's really cool. I like it. Um, and just the first couple of tracks off it just instantly hitting me. Mm -hmm. And um, I picked it up again recently. I think I was listening to some some of their album, Houdini, Gluey Porch Treatments, and then Stoner Witch. And um, I think I naturally just listened to Stoner Witch a bit more, yeah. And because obviously you're a big fan of the band, there's a number of albums that you could have chosen for us to discuss. Why this, this band, this album in particular? Yeah, well, when you invited me on to the show, um, I was caught between Houdini, which maybe has more of the hits on it, and it's one that maybe broke them a little bit more. Um, I wasn't really paying attention to the band when, when these albums came out, so I, I really got into them later on. But Houdini's really the one where um, if you like look up any playlists online or see what their top listened tracks are, that's where they all live. Yeah. And then Stoner Witch is kind of their, their second more popular. Um, but it, for me, it's more, it sounds more experimental. I think the second yeah. half of the album is almost like the B-side. And then I think of the first, the first half is more like the A-side. Um, but just really, really cutting drums, um, the bass, the guitar, everything just sounds really live and really al alive as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's important to me when I listen to bands that it shouldn't sound too, too processed. I mean, from my research, it certainly sounds like um, this album in particular is what a lot of people look to as almost like the peak Melvin's, like this is like encapsulates everything that's good about the band. Like you said, I mean, I wasn't really familiar with the band at all before we sat down to listen to this, but I had heard of Houdini because um, a friend of mine from, from back home, he sort of introduced me to the band and said, you want to check out this album. So it was the album that I knew them for, but again, doing the research, it seems like a lot of people gravitate to this album as being the pinnacle of their whether radio friendly or commercially successful more the pinnacle of their achievements as a as a musical act oh it's it's, it's such a great recording i think they really captured such a, a great vibe of the band i haven't seen them ever perform stone a witch and I'm, I'm not sure if i've heard any of them play any of the songs off it um mostly i've seen them on their later albums or their collaborations with um uh, phantom mass the like Patton album, I know you're a fan mm -hmm. of that, Aaron. Um, and how many albums do they have? Somewhere in the region of 30, <laughs> 30 albums. That's impressive in of itself, yeah. Wow. So it's, it's probably not surprising that you haven't heard them play any songs from this this album because yeah. when you've got, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how many album, how many songs that goes to. That must be an album a year, almost. Yeah, yeah. Aaron, yeah. Um, how familiar with the Melvins were you before? before we decided to do this album? Um, I'm with you. I'm, I'm guilty of um, n knowing the name. I know they're, they're heavy influencers. Uh, they've, they've, they've got staying power, um, considered a staple band. Uh, definitely know they're from the Pacific Northwest and have connections to Nirvana and the whole Seattle sound or what have you. But um, I'm guilty of never really going down the rabbit hole. So this is, um, you know, the whole point of this podcast is it's just that to share albums that you know mean something to individuals and and hopefully get people exposed to that so this was my first exposure uh to the melvins more or less yeah same so with that in mind chris you maybe you can give us a, a brief history of the melvins yeah so they um they formed in the early 80s in in washington state and um i think they started out as more of a cover band um we looked it up and it sounds like they were a Cream and Jimi Hendrix cover band, which is, which is really cool because you can tell that there's some real nice guitar forward style of playing and then Cream for the drums. Um, for me, they're a very original band, so mm -hmm. they've got a lot of that Black Sabbath, heavy, heavy rock, kind of slower, slower stuff. Um, but they're not afraid of reinventing themselves. So, like, over those 30 albums, there's so many different things to, to discover. Yeah. But really, the 90s is when they came to the forefront of the coattails of the whole grunge explosion, which um, 
is, is sort of ironic because of how they influenced the rise of Nirvana and how they supported um, Kurt Cobain and um, forming like the modern, the, the later uh, band members of, of Nirvana with Dave Grohl joining and they're really humble about all of that. I've been watching a lot of interviews with Buzz this week and um, he comes across as such a, a humble, nice, down-to-earth person. Buzz is think, the yeah, lead singer, yeah, yeah. songwriter. Looks like Sideshow Bob, really iconic <laughs> guy. But he just comes across as someone you'd it'd be amazing to hang out with just because he's just so down-to-earth. Is he also referred to as King Buzzo? Yeah, yeah. He's just got... He's, That's a cool name. Yeah. It's, he's got an album out under that name as well. Um, he's, he's just come out with an acoustic album as well, just acoustic. But he oh, still wow. captures a lot of the, the, the harder sort of energy of, of the Melvins. Um, but yeah, I think Houdini sort of broke them as we've been discussing. Um, Stoner Witch maybe I, I read somewhere that maybe this was where they wanted to get a bit more experimental mm-hmm. so maybe they felt like and I don't know if this is true they felt like maybe they'd they'd establish more of a mass sounding album and they wanted to recapture something of their earlier days yeah. uh, some of their earlier albums I, I still love as well Glowy Porch Treatments Bullhead um, but, but Stoner Witch is something that's that's interesting 94 um and um, a lot of the albums later still continue some of that experimentation just because they continue to to work with other singers tight with other bands two drummers i've been lucky enough to see them with the two drummers two bassists i'd love to see that um just this really sort of heavy garage forward sound yeah um, no pretentiousness me and me and aaron when we we do this we kind of get back into some of the bands and, and how they define themselves. Neither of us, you know, will say that we're really massively up on genres. But how would how is how are the Melvins described? Like what are the, the styles? Because it seems like from this album alone, there's quite a few ways you could define them. Yeah, yeah. I mean I came into them from the stoner angle. So yeah. the more of like the slower, more melodic, um, heavier Sludgy. Yeah, yeah, like the caveman drumming style. Yeah. Um, but some people maybe say it's more experimental, it's grunge, and I think because their association with Nirvana, um, alternative metal. Um, I know that Buzz has said that he's been a, he's been a fan of DC hardcore, oh, and right. especially the Discord label. And I think that comes across in maybe some of their like decisions in how they record more faithful mm. um more more of a live sounding thing less less perfect um so maybe they capture like wider quite a wide audience just from all of these different genres that they tap into yeah another nice. band speak, speaking of um not being that familiar with the melvins but uh familiar with the name and the history but just not with their actual uh their actual catalog and content uh, another band that comes up from that 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 era was that d- d- didn't necessarily get uh, as much attention as Mud Honey. Yeah. One. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of like the Melvins, Mud Honey. There's there's a handful of bands that just never quite got the spotlight mm. or the attention that was deserved. But of course, Nirvana and and then a lot of other bands that broke and got big, you know, paid respect and. and homage to them and uh, you know yeah. Yeah. well it, it said that cite them as an influence you know it said that Kurt Cobain said that the Melvins were his favourite band wow and I don't know if that's true or not but what I think is interesting is that like you mentioned they've been around since 1983 which is mm. crazy because I, I, I thought they were my I'm, I'm the same as you Aaron I never really knew too much about them Doing the research, I feel like this is like a, a cult band that I've been sleeping yeah. on. And you yeah, kind of exactly. go down the rabbit hole and you find out their sort of influence, their, how many bands they've sort of touched and how many bands would say that they were influenced by them. You mentioned Caius before. Like when I listened to the album, I could hear a lot of sort of Caius sounds coming yeah, through. Yeah, I was thinking Wretch, that particular album. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know... What's really interesting to me is that we kind of touched on this before. They were, they influenced Nirvana, um, 
Buzz Osborne apparently introduces Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic to Dave Grohl, and yet then Nirvana blow up, yeah, and they kind of, and then the Melvins kind of blow up as well, and it's it's almost like they were around beforehand. It's it's a kind of weird, um, yeah. weird thing to happen, and you know we talked about this before. Obviously, they signed to Atlantic after that happens, and they release this album on Atlantic. But then, Christian, what you're saying is they go a bit more commercial, a bit more mainstream, and they automatically go the opposite way and start to get even more experimental. I think they've, there's a theme for them over the, since 1983, it's 1983, that's crazy, that they, they're just not afraid to reinvent, do something subversive. I think yeah. their album covers are, are true of that. Um, and then even playing into some sort of more outrageous stuff like the, the double drummers, the double bass stuff, I don't think they take it too seriously and I find that so no. appealing about them. Yeah. There was so much of that time that was so serious, um, so emotionally charged or, or depressed and this just sounds like fun jam band <laughs> stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll read you out a couple of quotes from my research. Um, this actually, this quote... I was going to read out in reviews, but I'm going to jump to it now. It's from um, themetalarchives.com, and it's a review of the album. The intro um, paragraph says, The basis for the Melvins' career has been the simple principle. We don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. <laughs> yeah. I think that kind of talk is what you were talking about, yeah. that idea. They just do what they want to do whenever. Refreshing. Um, there's another one I wanted to get your take on it. Um, Al Cisneros from who's the singer and bassist from the band Sleep. I don't know if you guys have yeah, heard of them. Yeah, fantastic. He said of the Melvins, the Melvins are a band that'll either clear the room or change your life. <laughs> How do you react to that, Aaron? Did they I need change, to listen they to more, your I, life yet? I, I need to listen to more Melvins. <laughs> like I said, I, I'm new to this, so I mean, this album, we'll get into to, more into the, the actual album, but I'm, I'm interested in taking a deep dive into the rest of their... The other 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other 30 or so. So this album came out in 1994. Um, why don't we set the set the scene a little bit, see what was going on at the time. Yeah, it was a hell of a year. Um, I was an angsty teen, uh, junior in high school. <clears throat> and uh, it was a hell of a great year for, for metal music. Uh, newly formed bands. You said, uh, Amen. Yeah. Never heard of them. I guess they're... They had their 15 minutes. Got it. <laughs> uh, Hate Breed, Rammstein, uh, Slash the Solo uh, Snake Pit Project, Slash the Snake Pit, Static X, Strapping Young Lad, uh, A Force to be Reckoned With There, and Seven Dust, to name a few. Quite a few um, sort of new metalish kind of bands coming out around yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I missed out, I out Six Feet Under, which is um, Chris Barnes leaving Cannibal Corpse to form his own band, All right. uh, Six Feet Under. Speaking of stoner metal, very, very, very stonerific there. As far as albums go, we got some some monsters uh, that cover a lot of genres within the metal metal world. Uh, Biohazard from New York City, State of the World Address. That album was massive. Um, there was a Cannibal Corpse album, The Bleeding, Corrosion of Conformity. Uh, another game changer by Canadian <clears throat> band Cryptopsy, Blasphemy Made Flesh, considered a, uh, a classic. The black metal scene was really blowing up. We've got Dark Funeral, Demu Burger, Emperor, Enslaved, just to name a few. Uh, Helmet, New York band, Betty. Great album. Fantastic album there. Uh, in Flames getting their start. I guess the first album, Lunar Strain. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Came out that year. Our friends in In Flames. Yep. Uh, which we did review, right? Episode one. Yeah. Well, we we reviewed soundtrack to your escape, but that was obviously their debut. Yep, yep. Um, uh, some uh, more big ones here. Corn, debut album, self-titled. Massive. Huge game changer there. Uh, the I'm gonna destroy that. Caius. Caius. Caius, welcome yeah. to the sky. Yeah. Uh, Machine Head, Burn My Eyes. I don't even... There's yeah, nothing to say there. classic. First album, classic. Uh, I saw them on tour with uh, uh, Fear Factory that year. Some, uh, big, some big debut albums. This Ma year. Yeah, Bioha the Biohazard album, also from New York Hardcore, Madball, Set It Off. Yeah. Big, big album. 
uh, Megadeth's Euthanasia. Big album. Um, um, Frontman from Sepultura does a side project with Nail Bomb. Oh, right. Uh, Point Blank. Interesting. That was a one-off. Nine Inch Nails. You might have heard of this album called A Downward Spiral. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) This is a big, yeah. Pantera, Far Beyond Driven. Yeah, that went to number one. Dimebag Daryl. Propane, which we have reviewed. Which one? The album The Truth Hurts. Oh, yeah, good album. Um, Slayer, Divine Intervention. I know that one's controversial, if it was any good. It's a weird one, that. Yeah. Uh, Soundgarden, Super Unknown. Wow, the biggest release. Yeah, this is a, a huge... Yeah. Uh, quite appropriate. You're wearing your Super Unknown t-shirt, uh, Christian. Yeah. Stone Temple Pilots, Purple. Um, and Testament, Low. So we've got... That's a good album. Good album. Amazing year for that. Um, as far as events go, we've got a note on the, the critically acclaimed... Self-titled debut album from Korn, which was considered the first ever, quote, new metal album, okay? Yep. And then, um, unfortunately, on April 5th, uh, Kurt Cobain uh, passed, so mm-hmm. what what a year. Mm. And although that's kind of 1994 grunge news, it's very relevant to what we're discussing today with the yeah. Melvins and the sort of crossover there. 100%. So that sets the stage for 1994, and the album we're here to uh, review is Stone of Witch. So, Christian, is there any sort of background to the album that we want to kind of get into when it came out, what uh, what uh, label it was on, etc.? Yeah, well, Atlantic, which is amazing, um, such a huge record label, and to be allowed to put out something more experimental, maybe more risky for a label like that after Houdini. Um, it was really interesting to learn that a lot of the songs were captured in a single take. Yeah. And I think that just captures um, that, that more DIY, like hardcore influence on the band. Um, just re- trying to capture the truth, not hiding behind um, technology and just letting it yeah. all just blast out. That, I think that really comes through on the album as well. The first time I listened to it, I thought, like, this sounds really live like <laughs> in my head I was like they're playing the track all together in the same room yeah that's and my, then my re- preferred sound for sure reading that was like okay makes yeah. sense and and just um, musically how um, fluid a lot of the tempos are and the, the lyrics um, I think it's worth just just talking about that for a moment because yeah. let's please yeah <laughs> they're <laughs> mad absolutely mad and I it's not a band that I've ever been worried about what they're saying. It's more of like the feeling you get off them. Yeah. But um, when I, I think when I first heard this album, you didn't have access to you know, what the actual lyrics were. You couldn't sure. look them up, so you kind of had to try and read into it what you could. Um, but it was funny. I've been listening to it for Apple Music this week, and you've got the lyrics. Oh, okay, right? yeah. And it's, it's just fantastic. Some of it's just nonsensical, nonsensical right? yeah, yeah. some of it's funny... Yeah. It's like someone took a phone book and cut up the words. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you, um, I'm glad that you, you pointed that out because we, we generally, when we do this, we normally get the lyrics. We try and work out what they're singing about. And I went through the lyrics and I was like, maybe interpret them. Yeah, <laughs> I've got no fucking idea what's going on here. And then I was glad to read that they're intentionally nonsensical. Yeah, give us a taste. I thought I'd read. I thought I'd read a few out. We'll get our, our take on this. This is from the first track on the album, Squeeters. You gone sold you for you lie. Caught in a holder, yeah. She done hit him roll you go. <laughs> Caught in a hollow yellow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, it sounds so good. That's the thing. That, it's yeah. like, I, I his like accent to, for me is amazing. I mean, the, you, you definitely get a feeling from yeah. the way that he sings them. I like to think that he's just kind of stepping up to the mic as they're jamming and just saying the words pop into his head even if they don't make sense but they sound yeah. cool yeah there's another one I wonder what it? a hollow yellow is yeah let, let me let me read you out this other one this is from uh, Revolve two of you stu- two of you sold my wallet one of you stole my tie didn't you say that you're watching do or die venomous strange appears three of you standing by didn't you say that you've got it watch me eye wow <laughs> what do you think that means I don't know. It's, it's 
it's creepy cool. I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> you're, no, you're normally the one that interprets the lyrics the best out of the pair of us. Yeah. You, even you don't know what's going on. So yeah, like, yeah. It's got definitely a Pacific Northwest yeah. vibe to even the lyrics, like a sort of Twin Peaks thing. Yeah, yeah. Speaking backwards in tongues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Appropriate. Good call. Are you guys interested in hearing what people have said about the album? Yeah. Let's get yeah. a couple of reviews. So, um, just an overall note on the sort of the legacy of the album. Decibel magazine inducted Stoner Witch into its Hall of Fame. Yeah, I saw that. Spin listed the album as number nine on its list of the 20 greatest grunge albums of all time. Number nine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the album also featured on Treble Zine's lists of the 30 best grunge albums and 10 essential stoner rock albums. So this is a bona fide classic in the eyes of the majority of people. Yeah. And when I read, when I went through the reviews, I couldn't find a single thing that, you know, normally we're doing this, we're like, get the good and the bad. This is all good. So this, um, this review comes from allmusic.com, uh, gives it a four out of five, mm-hmm. big score. What I like about this uh, website is they do these things on the side, almost these tags, which they call album moods. And okay. the, t- the two that they have for this album are strong uh-huh. and gloomy. Oh, yeah. yeah which yeah. is interesting. So I'm just going to read a little bit out of this. The early to mid-90s proved the Melvin's golden age and the three principal albums from that period, of which Stone Witch provides a centerpiece, are virtually unassailable in their range, depth, power, and experimental courage. Picking up on the basic framework of Houdini, Stone Witch resolves into an ear-catching workup of classic rock themes, Tempered, of course, with a fairly judicious sampling of eight of acid trip detours. Yeah, that second half definitely is, is just one big hazy trip. Oh, big time. Yeah. So he goes on to say, Stoner Witch truly showcases the band at the apex of their wide-ranging creative abilities. So that kind of goes back to what I was saying before about a lot of people seeming to pinpoint this as the band at its creative peak. Um, and a special note for the drummer Dale Crover saying his percussion and pounding behind the kit is astonishing, powerful, and daring. And I, that's definitely something that I think, listen, I think the drums is one of the particular yeah, highlights. Supreme, supreme. Um, so that was from All Music, four out of five, great review. The next couple are from um, from fans of the band. I think these are just, these are on the Metal Archives. These aren't professional critics, but these are always really interesting because it gives more of a yeah. real take. Sure. And some of the language is great. The first one I wanted to read a bit out of um, gives the album 95%. It's by someone called Wizard Joe. All right, Wizard. Hello, this Wizard is actually, Joe. Hello, Wizard Joe. This is actually his last, from his last paragraph, but I thought it was particular point, particularly point, a pointed um, remark given your experience with the album, Christian. This was my first encounter with the Melvins, and for me, it was a perfect introduction. So, kind of similar to, similar to your journey. Fantastic. But he starts off by saying, if we look at the first few tracks, four riff-driven rockers laden with buzz, brilliant voice, they are essentially a build-up to the first absolute classic, Revolve, one of their best-written songs up there with Honey Bucket. Every member excels on their uh, respective instrument all the way through to one of Buss's best-ever solos. The production, by the way, is the best they've ever had. So, you know, what you were talking about, going major label into a studio with... All the, all the tools and sort of experiment in that way. But there's another there's another thing that kind of, it started to shed a little bit of light on the Melvin's experience for me. After a hefty, hefty bit of weirdness, brackets, something us Melvin fans will be more than accustomed to by now. <laughs> Magic Pig Detective kicks in one of the fastest tracks on the album. And I think I wanted and to... just ha- great titles yeah. as well. Magic yeah. Pig Detective. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, along Love with it. the crazy lyrics, the titles of the, of the tracks are, mm-hmm. are just as crazy. But I wanted to point, point that out because one of my initial um, sort of thoughts listening to the album was that it was very strange. But it seems like getting into the research, going through all of these reviews, that strangeness is something that's very, like important to the Melvin sound and it's funny I I've never really thought of it being strange I guess it's just because of a lot of the other albums that I listen to as well but it's got a bit of that like Captain Beefheart anything goes get it on the album I think you nailed it with the Twin Peaks reference as well especially on that that particular song it's kind of 
there's a little jazzy bit going on and it's just <laughs> yeah it's all over the place and then later they were to do the Twin Peaks soundtrack with they did. Mike Patton for Jesus, director's oh, cut oh. yeah it just makes it, that's right of yeah. course Jeez, yeah 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 of course yeah, yeah. amazing uh, another, another that's a great analogy another review gives it 91% this was the guy that said uh, the basis for the Melvin's career has been the simple principle we don't give a fuck what anybody thinks yeah clearly goes on to say Buzzo and company make music that is totally outside the confines of mainstream thinking ranging from unholy sludge to soothing ambience and I think that's really descriptive of this album like the journey from you know the previous review talked about the first four tracks being like really riff heavy more classic sort of rock songs to like just you know descending into this sludge and slow kind of weird it just makes sense it's all coming together in my mind now that this is why Mike Patton secured him for for Phantomas. He yeah. he handpicked. I want I want Lombardo on drums and I need Buzz on guitar. Like yeah. it all makes sense now. Final point on this review: If you're looking for something more diverse and intelligent than the average metal band, pick this shizzy up for show. Pick word. this shizzy. Oh, word. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to read that. Oh now. well, yeah, that's a good one. Um, oh, I haven't heard shizzy in a while. Right, there you go. <laughs> last last review I wanted to read out was a little bit from Decibel. We we already mentioned that they inducted it into their Hall of Fame. They talk about the songs being captured in a single take, um, which is really um, amazing. But they also go on to say, recollections of seeing the band live in this era continue to paint Melvins as punishers and provocateurs. Melvin's always created a thunderous racket and had zero patience for gift-wrapping themselves to audiences. Here's a quote from the drummer. There are bands that like to hide behind volume. They aren't very good, but they're fucking loud. We were pretty fucking loud back then, but we definitely weren't hiding. The basic concept behind Melvin's remains true to this day. You're either with them or you're against them. There is no middle ground. That's fantastic. Yes. So I think, you know, you mentioned that you saw them live. I can only imagine having listened to this album, really sort of how punishing that experience could be because it's it's heavy. Like the drums are, like I mentioned it before, like a real highlight on this record and the drummer really hits hard. So I can only imagine what the live experience would have been like. Just wall of sound. Just, and so much energy from them as well. But they don't hide like what he what was just saying. They, they definitely don't hide. So there's no theatrics and backgrounds and projections and things yeah. like that it's just about the music yeah I think you, you get that you get that through the album right before we go any more granular into our thoughts let's um, do our thing and um, check out the the album art and at this point um, Christian obviously yeah like me and Aaron work in the design industry so we all have a bit of a creative creative eye creative leaning um, what we like to do is kind of analyze the album cover, give our thoughts out of 10, that kind of stuff. Um, just to point out before we do this, this one was actually designed by Mackie Osborne, who's Buss's uh, wife. And she's notable for having actually produced artwork and worked with bands such as obviously Miss, uh, Melvin's, Circle Jerks, Rancid and Tool as well. So quite the resume there. Um, so Christian, why don't you kick us off? Because I think you've got a good anecdote about the album art. In, yeah, in general. For, well, for me, it's not going to win any like art awards for in it, in itself, but it's what it represents. It's 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 irony, right? So we've got this script, we've got this painted swan, we've got these pink flowers, and it's completely at the opposite end of what the music is. Yeah, and um, another band that have done this as well, like Helmet, with some of their album artwork and. And it's this very pretty album cover, which completely lies about what you're just about to, to experience. So for me, what it represents is, is just fantastic. Yeah. And it does look great as a 12 inch vinyl as well. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, it almost looks like wallpaper. Or yeah, like, like it's a, what I'd imagine. A, a grandmother's, exactly. a grandmother's yeah, a grandmother's cushion. wall pattern. Yeah, yeah. Or like a pillow throw or Chocolate something. box kind of stuff. Aaron, what do you what what's your take on the on the cover? Well, again, without having much much experience with the band, the 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 cover is definitely iconic for for that era, and it's iconic for the band. Um, 
I know we usually rate these things. Um, do we rate them out of 10? Yeah. I'm going to give it, I mean, just throwing it out there, I'm probably going to give it like a seven and a half or an eight. That's big. Um, just, uh, just for the fact that, to Christian's point, it really throws you off. Because you look, you're drawn into it, you're like, oh, that's a beautiful pattern, like my grandma Nan's wallpaper or something. And, uh, you know, they're using a scripty font. There's nothing grungy or metal about that. So mm -hmm. uh, there's that element of surprise that uh, you're getting something beautiful on the outside, but it's really gritty and raw once you uh, once you put it to your ears. And well, then, and I was thinking about the albums that you found from that year that were released. Like, they were so serious and yeah. so moody. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Like all the early Photoshop stuff coming in and oh. overlays and all of that. And then all of a sudden to have an oil-painted swan. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. great. Yeah. Biohazard State of the World Address. I think it had like, yeah, that's got a serious cover. I mean, Madball set it off. I think they're just, just they're just fronting in an alleyway with their dogs looking hard in a New York City yeah. alleyway. Like it's just everything's yeah. just so intense. And so this, this is really just throwing caution to the wind. And, and then they're not is. they're not a band that. Is this, like, would you consider that their logo? Or has it kind of changed from album to album? For, I quite, well, they've also done rip-offs of other band logos. So they've got a particularly good one of Kiss, which is great. Really? Yeah. And, <laughs> but this one pops up a lot on their more popular t-shirts. I was on Amazon this week and I actually wanted to buy it as a t-shirt. They didn't have my size, but. Nice. Um, yeah, it definitely, it's definitely in there. Um, I think it might be on a couple of their other album covers as well. I can't remember, but this this sort of subversive thing. Well, they did do it on um, Bullhead as well, which was '91, so a couple of years earlier. Um, but but it's worth looking at all their album covers because they all have a concept. They're mm. not just a you know some serious sort of pretentious looking thing. They're they're all quite quite interesting. Um, I mean, I, I think. I, I like what you guys are saying, the sort of subversion or the irony of what the album's all about. Yeah, it's a even, yeah. even the title, Stone a Witch, to have on this kind of elaborate, pretty sort mm. of yeah. pattern is quite interesting. Houdini's got a great album cover. Yeah, that's the, kids the one playing I remember. The two-headed yeah. puppy. That's what that's I great. <laughs> <laughs> Did this influence your purchase decision for this album? I think it must have because I would have been flipping through other albums which probably had some sort of rusted metal and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, from that from that era, like all the Nine Inch Nails stuff, you know, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it could be a piece of art hanging up in a, yeah. in a museum. Beautiful decay. It's, yeah, but so serious. And then to find this, it, this this is almost what sort of Primus are doing and Helmet and. Uh, Jesus Lizard and yeah. those kind of yeah. those kind of bands um, who are out to subvert and not necessarily just just be very serious. All right, give us a, a rating out of ten, then, Christian. For the artwork. Yeah, yeah. For me, eight out of ten. Okay, big. I'm gonna go six point five. I like the. Uh, the point five makes all the difference. Oh yeah, I, I like. I always like to put a little point in there. You gotta get really specific on this. I mean, it's stylistically, you know, this is a subjective thing. Just it's, commit. It's, give it's, him a seven. Come on. Round it up. <laughs> All right. Because it's your first time. I'll give you a seven. I, I, like, I think I like what it represents more than I like the look of it. So that's yeah. why it gets a, yeah. a higher rating for me. Cool. Right. That out of the way. Let's get into the album. Aaron, do you want to kick us off and give us some overall impressions of, of the album? Yeah, um, going back to Christian's comment that it's, you know, it, it feels live and the album is almost alive itself. Um, based on the way they've recorded it, it's, it's definitely my preference on uh, the way an album should, should sound uh, to give you that, that visceral feel that you're actually there with the band. I think you guys even mentioned the, the way it's all um, mastered is bass on the left guitar it's, on the right it's in a few it's in a few yeah. tracks I don't think it's through the um, whole thing just the, 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 the blistering guitar sound is, is definitely uh, attractive t for me as well so the blistering guitars the drummer is obviously taking ownership here and just killing it throughout the album and then again like you mentioned the album takes a turn after the first four or five tracks and it just becomes experimental. 
I mean, the Twin Peaks analogy is fantastic because it's just, uh, there's just side avenues and twists and turns, and sometimes it's just noise or static or just someone plucking away on the bass. Um, there's just all kinds of different avenues and explorations that are happening in the second half of the album, so it's definitely living up to the whole uh, stoner title mm-hmm. and the title. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely more of a fan of the first half half of the album. Yeah, I can appreciate the the album as as a whole, and again, it just it's encouraging me to take a deeper dive to the, to the rest of their stuff. But um, the thing I will say that um, that might be clouding a little bit of my judgment is because again, going back to context, the timing of this album '94 and the fact that they are considered um, kind of the originators of some of that sound, or at least they nailed the stoner sound. Um, there's just so much of it out now that you really have to kind of put into context the fact that they were doing it in that year before everything that came, came after it. So that's, yeah. you basically need to uh, keep that in mind from reviewing this album. That's always a hard thing. Because the genre has thing. completely been blown out. It's, it's like when you watch what someone would consider to be a classic movie. Right. And you've never seen it before. Yeah. And then you've seen so many things that have probably been influenced by it, ripped it off, and you're like, it doesn't impact you the way that yeah. that, that it really should have done. There's probably hundreds of bands in this in the genre now, right? I mean oh, just Oh yeah, absolutely. Um for me, I think on first listen, I was exactly the same as you. Like first first four tracks kicked in. And I was like, "All right, fuck yeah, this is this is good shit. This is this is what I've been missing out on." And then the album takes that like slow descent into like madness and like really strange territory. And I just, to me, it just felt. I was like, "Oh, but it was working so well. Why'd you why'd you go yeah, there?" And yeah. it, it kind of, I guess, my first listen was a little bit. I was a little bit unsure of what I was sort of listening to really it's it's um we've used this analogy before but it is kind of like a like a buffet you know there's yeah there's you know some of the reviews we read there is so much there's so many different styles to me if on first listen it, it didn't feel all that cohesive and i was the same as you like those first four tracks however given it subsequent listens doing the research Kind of having my eyes open to what the 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 I keep on almost saying the misfits. I mean the Melvins. Yeah. Understanding what that experience is all about, it really started to grow on me, and I really started to appreciate the more sort of the stranger elements of the album. And actually, I think when I first listened to it, I was just so into the the sort of. I'm always, every album we do, I always get attracted to more of the riffs and the guitar-led stuff. So those first four tracks are killing it for me. The, the sort of more chilled-out stuff I wasn't as keen on. But actually, going back and listening to it, some of the more, um, like, certainly some of the tracks right at the end of the album that are, are really sort of atmospheric, I started to really dig. So it kind of, it through doing the research, through doing having more listened to the album, it really started to win me over. What, what about you, Christian? Exactly the same, yeah. I think the, it's like a sonic assault when you first start it, so it's really in your face. And then there's almost this sort of second half come down. Yeah. So, so, so it's really, really aggressive, and then there's these twists and turns, and then it, and it sort of finishes in a calmer way, which I find really appealing. It's interesting that you mention that, because that one thing I thought about was like, the way the album bookends is quite interesting. You have that first track that's really short and it it almost, me and Aaron talked about this, there's like a, there's such a live, raw sound to the album that it, sometimes it sounds like a band rehearsing, like kind of getting started. And that, that first track, Squeetus, is kind of like mm. that. It's almost like, okay, guys, ready? Okay, we'll do it. Do a short one, blast it out. And it's like intense, gets you hooked into the album. But the album finishes in like completely the opposite manner, which is just like all ambience and like a long, I think it's Lividity, the last track. So the album does sort of bookend kind of interestingly. It's like the journey from being up 
and the energy all the way down to that, that sort of slow and like really chilled out state. I, what I find is that even the, even the early songs, which are really big, there's, you, there's an openness to the whole sound of it. Um, the drums, huge toms, big snare, big yeah. bass, so clear. So even though there's all of this, all of this um, noise to, and aggression to start with, you can still hear all of the different pieces and, and, it, and it, feel, it feels cohesive. If, that, uh, I was reading that it was all... It was all pretty much tracked and mastered in one take. Yeah. And I think that really helps tie it together. It doesn't sound like an album of single songs. It sounds like one album. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it before when you were sort of introducing the album and, and I guess your tastes in music. It, it does benefit to listen to this as, as an album. Like you've got to listen to it start to finish to get that full, full journey effect. A couple of other things that... I wrote down that I really kind of were unique or interesting um, about the album. We talked about that uh, sort of live sound. Um, Aaron, when we talked about, we did um, the Trap Them album mm-hmm. a few a few goes a uh, few few um, outings before. We talked about that same kind of sound, that live raw energy. It really creates like a unique atmosphere. Like I, I think the the production is good and the sound is good but it's not so clean that you can't pick up on the sounds of the room or you can't hear that reverb or or like it's sort of the happy accidents yeah it's it's it sounds live and when you know when it sounds too good and overproduced i mean i don't know i guess there's there's certain certain albums or certain bands where that is their sound and it's a good thing but it's I don't know. For my for my likings, I, I prefer that the, the the you know bumps, cuts, scrapes, warts, and all like just yeah, all absolutely. that that grittiness because that's really what I don't know. I guess that's at the core of what draws you to heavy metal in, in a way. It's just it's just it's it's electric. It's 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 crispy. It's raw. It's burnt. It's I don't know. I'm just throwing words out. <laughs> no, no, but that's you know that's all part of that that atmosphere that yeah. that that sound um and i think i don't know if you guys agree with this but you know i mentioned that there's that whole almost like sound of a band rehearsing or just jamming like having fun yeah it's a super aggressive yeah. some of the stuff sounds dark but yeah. i can just tell they're a blast recording it's, un- it's unpretentious, unpretentious as well oh absolutely That's there's almost there's almost this I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but there's almost this like unstable energy at times where you feel like the song feels like it's breaking down or like someone's fucked up or like the timings aren't quite right. And yeah. then it just, it like, sort of picks it, picks it back up. And I think part of that is down to the strength of the drums, which I think is one of mm-hmm. the, like the real highlights. I think that the, it, it really, the drums really knit the songs together almost sometimes on on their own like the guitars and the bass almost drop out and you just have the drums kind of helping the song stay in one piece and um dale crover drummer one one of only a few drummers who can sing and play at the same time okay so nice. he's got his phil collins thing going on oh nice yeah. amazing. does he do backing on the album because there are some like bigger sort of we've, we've i feel like maybe they all do i can't quite tell we have to there's some gang vocally kind of yeah. parts on the album which i really like yeah because he's he's certainly got his own tracks like in later albums where he's doing his thing as as leading vocals and he he's awesome. And I'm curious, Christian, are the are the other Melvin albums like this? Do they do they cover that word we use a lot on the podcast? Do do they cover the dynamic range of what's what's involved on this album? Do they do like the, the slow, st- fast, yeah, loud, slow, quiet. fast, yeah, just totally. inter- interludes and just like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just like someone's jamming. And then there's even more like synthy, crazy electro synth. stuff later on. There's synth and electro. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, covers, like, they do not give a fuck. Okay. They are going to do whatever they want to do. I'd say Houdini is definitely the like the, the brother-sister of this album. Really okay. tight. Same kind of era. And if, right. I think the first couple of tracks feel like they could have come off of, off of Houdini okay. maybe a little bit. That, that one's then, next. Yeah. That one's next. Yeah. So, if you, I know you said you listened to the album 
in its entirety Christian but if you had to tell somebody to check out just two tracks from this album which would they be which are your favourites um Queen Mm -hmm. fantastic um I was interested you were saying that that's maybe something that they've been revisiting as well yeah that seems to be one that they still play quite a lot to this day one of their fan favourites um but I, I don't I don't necessarily break down that first half. I just enjoy them as one block. Yeah. So I listen to it as one and then there's the second half. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any highlights from the second half that you would say? I feel like the ambient sort of openness where things just really, really break down into like a single instrument or air or noise yeah. or and then it, like like you say, it sort of builds up again. Yeah, I'm not so familiar with the the names of the tracks, so I always just listen to it as one one piece. Yeah, no, that's um, that's cool. I think that's all part of listening to this album. Yeah, Aaron, what what you got? What, what would you say your sort of standout moments on the album are? Yeah, I I gotta go with um, I like very similar. I'm 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 into the uh, Squeedus and Queen as the openers. Those are those are great out the door. Obviously, Revolve. I was watching their music video for that. That's that's that stands up. That one's a little oh, more and catchier and popular, but the, the video yeah, is fun. Their music video is yeah. so good. But the one, the one, the one for me is is Road Bull because mm-hmm. it's it's it, the song actually encapsulates the album. It starts out gritty, heavy, and raw, and then halfway through the song. You just get like the the military drumming, yeah, and then the whistling, and you're like, yeah. "What the fuck?" It's so and the lyrics so weird. of that war as well. Yeah, yeah. And so that that song epitomizes the album for me, and therefore is my favorite song off the track. And I mean, again, I just if anything, I'm inspired now to visit Houdini as well as the rest of their material and and. Clearly, the people have spoken. They're unapologetic, and that's that's attractive in a band. And so, sounds like there's plenty more to uh, explore. But, but Road Bull on this album, pick it up, people. So I've got two, and I think they kind of cover off both sides of this album. The first one, I think my favorite track has got to be Revolve. I think it appeals to me. What I what I like, it's got, you know. Good chunky riffs. The drums are really hard hitting, as we've mentioned before. It's also probably got like the most sort of standout chorus on the album. Yeah. No idea what he's saying, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter. Um, and it actually has um, a pretty cool outro solo. Um, mm. And I think it might be the only time that they they do a solo on the album. Don't know for sure. But I think Revolve is probably the at least the standout of the first half. And um, actually I'm a big fan of uh, Shevel, which mm-hmm. is probably the most chilled out, ambient... Yeah, that was up there for me. ...spaced out vibes. Um, definitely one for listening with your headphones, your eyes closed, potentially partaking in some extracurricular activities. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Um, it made me think about... Um, the, the Sabbath cover, uh, Planet Caravan. Planet Caravan, mm-hmm. yeah. You that it's too? definitely yeah. got that vibe. Yeah. S- same, same album, uh, sorry, same year, same album. And he also, um, uh, the lead singer, Buzz Osborne, I think he really, in this one, um, sort of demonstrates his, uh, his dynamic range with yeah. the vocals, because he has got quite a few styles going on there, um, which is really interesting. So I think, you know, Revolve and Shevel for me, if you wanted to know what this album's about, that kind of sums it up. So Christian, we know that you're going to be a big, big fan of this one, but can you um, give us your rating out of 10? A strong 8 out of 10. Strong 8? Yeah. Okay. Impressive, all right. Aaron? I'm going to go uh, <clears throat> 7 out of 10. Okay. I was going to go 6.5, but I'm like, <laughs> You're not allowed. I'm not allowed. No, round it I'm, up. I'm also going 7. Lucky 7. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, the first time I listened to this, it wasn't going to be that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I think it is a grower. And I think when you understand the significance of this album to the band's career, you do your research, yeah. you hear the reviews... And then you give it a second listen. I think you listen to it and give it more appreciation. So for me, I think it just, 
it leveled up instantly after I kind of knew yeah. all that sort of stuff. Right, that's awesome stuff. Um, you know what we also like to do, Kristen, you sort of already alluded to this, is kind of assess um, the impact that the, the album has had on the band and, you know, what are they still playing today? So have a set list from October 21st, to, uh, 2019, from uh, The Social in Orlando, Florida. And um, from this album, Stone of Witch, they play Queen, which I think, Aaron, you sort yeah. of mentioned, or uh, Christian, that it's one of the big uh, fan favourites from this um, this album. It was the only song from this album they played on that set list, but when you consider that the bands have in the region yeah. of 30 albums, it's hardly surprising. Yeah. And actually quite impressive that they're still playing one of those tracks. Um, further to that, just looking at the songs they've played this year, um, they've played Queen 27 times. That's tied sixth of the, the songs that they've played the most. They also played Revolve, I think, a total of five times. So, you know, you've got two two songs from this album still making an impact, still making an appearance on this on their uh, live show, which I think is a good legacy for the album. All right, really enjoyed that, Christian. Thanks for joining us. Right. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. me. Cheers, guys. As usual. All um, right, cheers. Till next time. All right.